Please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of the Revelation, chapter 4. Each generation has been sort of characterized by the music that it listens to, and that the music that it, uh, it, it writes and it sings, this music describes the culture that we live in. This music describes some of the norms of the day and some of the things going on that go on in the world around us. Each generation has had a particular style and a particular generation of music. We see swing and big band and jazz and, and punk rock and rock and roll and country and western and contemporary music. All of these musics help define the culture of the generation that was around. But we know that music also plays a vital, vital role in our Christian worship. We sing songs of worship that praise God. We sing songs of worship that honor God. And singing is such an essential element of our worship. It's the outflow of the gospel and the scriptures working within each and every one of us. It's an outflow of God's word dwelling within us that leads to joyful praise of God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 tells us this, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It is also the way that we proclaim our salvation. Look at Psalm 96 verses 1 through 4. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. That word feared means reverence. That means an awesome consideration of who God is and what God has done. God alone is worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship. We praise God in worship and song, resulting from the joy that his great salvation has brought into our hearts, souls, and minds. We praise him. In eternity, eternity, we're going to sing praises to God forever and ever. And you know the beauty of all this? We're going to sing with redeemed hearts, and redeemed minds, free from sin, free from turmoil, free from the cares of this world. Can you imagine a time when we can praise God without anything going on in our lives to distract us? And you know the beauty, too? We're going to praise God directly in his presence, seeing him on his throne, worshiping him on his throne, and as we're going to look this morning, being right near the throne of God itself. And not just for a day. We're not going to go home when we're done worshiping. We're going to worship and worship and worship for all eternity. What a blessing God has given to us. In Revelation 4 and 5, we're going to see this morning that our singing is important. And the content of our singing really, really matters. We sing to a God who is holy, who is powerful, and who is eternal, and who created all things by the power of his word. We also sing to Jesus the Lamb, who redeemed all people from their sinfulness, and who will reign on the throne for all eternity. You see, what we see in the world today, this turmoil, and this, 
this uh, disgrace in some cases among our leadership and among our country is all going to come to an end because righteousness, God's righteousness, will reign and it will reign forever. This scene in Revelation that we're going to look at this morning is built on the theological truth of who God is. We worship God in accordance to how he has revealed himself to us in the pages of Scripture. Notice what it says in the Gospel of John. Brian read it earlier in chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. The Bible tells us this, But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. These were the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to the woman at the well. And what he's basically saying here, we need to worship God in spirit and truth. In spirit, from our hearts, with all the passion and fire and emotion that we have within us, that dwells within us. And in truth, in truth in a proper way, who God is as knowledge that we see from the Scripture. God is unlike any other, and our worship of God needs to be special, and it needs to also be defined by how God has revealed himself. There is no one like God. So we worship God in spirit and truth, with the full emotion and fire that we have in us, and with the truth and knowledge that we have from reading his word and studying his word and hearing his word preached to us. In Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we're going to see four ways in which we, we praise and worship God now and in eternity. The first thing we want to look at this morning, the first point, is in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, we praise God as holy, as powerful, and as eternal. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, a, there was as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and is to come. This passage gives us a very detailed and very majestic view of a future scene in heaven. And we're all going to be there. We're all going to see this scene played out in our lives. And on this scene, we see a marvelous scene. We see God himself 
God the Father himself seated on his majestic throne in heaven. And around the throne, we see 24 elders. Now, these 24, this number 24 is a symbolic number. It's not an actual number. And a lot of commentators that this, um, this 24 number is symbolic of the unity of all God's people, the completion of God's purpose. The 12 elders are the 12 apostles, the New Testament church, and the 12 elders are also representative of Old Testament Israel in the 12 tribes of Israel. So we see here the completion of God's people worshiping God before the throne. And there's also these marvelous creatures before the throne, these four living creatures who continually praise God day and night, never ceasing. Now when we look at verse number 8 of this particular passage, we see something of the praise of God. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. If you remember, we started off by saying that we need to worship God in spirit and truth. And what we're doing here is we're worshiping God for his character as it's been revealed in Scripture. We worship God as holy. We worship God as powerful. And we see that we worship God as the eternal God, the never-ending God. We worship God as holy. Now, when we say that God is holy, what we basically mean is this, that God is unique. He has been set apart. There's nothing like God. There's nothing that compares to God. There's nothing like him at all. In verse 8, they start off by saying, holy, holy, holy. They just don't proclaim him as holy. They proclaim him as holy, holy, holy. And this is something that is similar to what we see in Isaiah's vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And these verses will be on the board. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his throne filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God's holiness is completely beyond our human comprehension. God dwells in the complete absence of sin. There is no sin around God at all. He cannot dwell around sin. His presence cannot come in contact with sin. And that is why in this particular passage, they proclaim God as holy, holy, holy. One God in three persons with absolute beauty and unmatched holiness. We see that in this particular passage. All around God's throne is his creation and the beautifulness of his creation. We see in verse number three it says, And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald, an absolute beautiful scene full of color and majesty. We also see in this particular passage God's... Um, Majestic power. Look in verse 6. And before the throne, there was, a, there was as if it were a sea of glass, like crystal. All God's creation, his people, his angelic beings, all gathered around the, the, the throne of God, proclaiming God as holy, holy, holy. Absolute beauty with unmatched holiness. Unmatched holiness. We also see in this passage that God is powerful. 
There is nothing like the power of God. It's what sets him apart from anyone else. Infinite power, capable of doing anything and everything. That is why when Sarah was doubtful that she could have a child in her old age, God spoke to her and said, is there anything impossible for God to do? Is there anything that I cannot do? It's absolute, infinite power. The angels proclaim this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And right around the throne, as we look at verse number 5 in this passage, as we look there, we see God's power fully on display around his throne. It says, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And we see all this beauty and majesty that display God's total power. We're going to look at his creative power in a few moments. But all God's power is fully on display around his throne as his people bow the knee and worship him as the holy God and as the all-powerful God. There's something else in this passage which talks about God's uniqueness. It tells us in verse number 8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We praise God in the truth that he is eternal. Now when we think of eternal, what do we think of? Something that has no beginning and no end. We cannot fathom that. We cannot, everything that we see in the world has a beginning and has an end. And everything that comes to it, relationships and people come to a beginning and come to an end. Day and night comes to a beginning and comes to an end. Years come to a be- have a beginning and come to an end. But God has always existed, exists today, and always will exist. That's what this passage is talking to us about. It tells us that the eternal, being eternal, is the very essence of who God is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then the passage goes on, the worship of God goes on, and describes how God is eternal. It says that he is who was, which tells us God has always existed. It tells us who is, and that tells us that God exists right now. While we're worshiping him here, he is receiving this worship. He exists right now. Regardless of what the world says, God is involved, and he exists, and he knows everything that's going on. And while the world is going on with all of its problems, all of its trials, God exists. He's on his throne in heaven, and he's ruling, and he's reigning, and he's controlling all things that take place. Nothing that takes place takes place out of the will of God. God exists. And then it tells us, and is to come, God will always exist. He has no beginning. He has no end. God exists outside of time. God is not bound by time. God is not bound by anything. He exists from the beginning of time through the end of time. He does not age. He does not grow weary. He does not grow tired. His patience with his people is unmatched. He exists, and, he, and we worship him as the eternal, ever-living God. We also, we praise God as holy, powerful, eternal, and as we look back at Revelation chapter 4, picking it up in verse 9, we praise God as the creator. Notice what the Bible says beginning in verse number 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, God is eternal. 
the 24 elders, all creation, all of his redeemed people, fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. This passage gives us a very detailed view of our worship of God again. It tells us that the 24 elders, all God's creation, throughout their lives have done things that pleased God, and they received reward. They're called crowns. And it tells us that one day, as we stand before God worshiping him, we're going to take these crowns and we're going to cast them back to the one who made it possible for us to do it in the first place. You see, all majesty, glory, and honor belongs to God. And then it goes on in this passage to tell us that God is not only worthy of worship because of who he is, he's also worthy of worship for what he has done and what he will continue to do. He created all things by the power of his word. Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It tells us, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without without form and void, and darkness covered over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. It was without form and it was void. There was nothing there. Nothing at all. No content, nothing existing at all. But now the Bible goes on in this passage to explain God's work in creation. It tells us God said, and so it was. Look at verse number 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let us separate the waters from the earth. And so it was. And in verse 9, the Bible tells us this. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And so it was. And in verse 11, it says, and God said, let the earth sprout forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And so it was. And in verses 14 and 15, the Bible says this, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And so it was. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above and across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. In verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And so it was. And in verse 26 and 27, we see God's ground rule of his creation, mankind. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens 
and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created man in God's image. Not meaning that we have the essence of God, but that like God, we have the ability for love and emotion. And when you think of God's creation of man, just think of the little things that had to be considered. Eyes to see, ears to hear, mouths to communicate and to praise God, a heart that beats, lungs that breathe, all the, all the organs in the body put together so man can function as a living being. God created a living being capable of fellowship with him. The crown jewel of man's creation is, of God's creation is man. And as we see from this passage where it says, and God said, as we turn back to uh, Revelation chapter 4, it says, and God said, shows the absolute power of God. He created everything out of nothing. He just spoke and it existed. I could say, let a tall glass of water appear there. Never going to happen. We'd be here for four weeks, it still wouldn't happen. But God spoke into existence every single thing that created an absolute display of his power. What is seen and what is unseen. That's why as we look back in Revelation chapter 4, at verse number 11, speaking of the praise of God, it says, Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Glory, honor, and power. God is worthy of all of our worship at all times because by his sovereign will, he not only created all things, but by his sovereign will, he sustains everything that takes place. Now we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator. Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 1. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator. God the Father carried out his creative work through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this at the very beginning of John's Gospel, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Here the Bible tells us this, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the Word. The Lord Jesus Christ was the Creator. He was God's instrument or God's way of carrying out the creation of all things. When it says back in Genesis, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ as Creator. Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 2 also reminds us of this. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But as in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. We're going to look at that again in a few moments. Through whom he also created the world. By the will of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his word, 
all things were created and were and do exist. We see that again in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6. For, there, for, for us there is one God the Father, from whom all things and for whom all we exist, one Lord. Let me read that again. For us there is one God the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So the Lord Jesus Christ was God's way through him of carrying out all of creation. But you know something? He didn't just create like a lot of people believe and then walk away and let history take its human course until he returns to set all things right. He created and he continues to sustain all things to this very day. Notice what it says in Colossians chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17. It says, For by him, the Lord Jesus Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all vegetation, all life, all the planets, all everything that lives, all the angelic beings. It tells us all things were created through him and for him, for his purpose, for his glory. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. The Lord Jesus Christ sustains all things that he created. He keeps everything functioning in its proper order. He keeps everything moving along just as he designed it. The sun shines every day because Jesus sustains it. The moon comes out every night because Jesus sustains it. The planets don't go crashing into one another. They all stay in their perfect orbit around the sun because Jesus sustains it. The earth spins on its axis, giving us seasons and years because Jesus sustains it. Human history goes forth because Jesus sustains it and is in control of it. He sustains all things. He controls all things. He is before all things. And he created every single thing to his glory. That's why we worship him. We worship him as creator and as sustainer. And as we're going to see in a moment, as the author of our salvation. He is the one that brings everything, is bringing all history to that pivotal point when he returns to establish his rulership on the earth. He's just not sitting back and waiting. All right, let's see what's going to happen next. He knows what's going to happen next. He designed what's going to happen next. He controls what's going to happen next. And everything is moving forward for him for his particular purpose, regardless of what it is, regardless of what we go through, regardless of what we see in human history. Jesus sustains it and is moving it toward a particular goal for his glory. We're back in uh, Revelation, this time in chapter 5. And we've looked at that we praise a God who is holy, powerful, and eternal. And we praise God as our creator. And now we're going to see that we praise God the Lamb as our Redeemer. As Brian uh, read this morning, Brian Newberger, we're going to look at verses, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, 
Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look at it. Here again we have a future scene in heaven. We have God the Father seated on the throne. And in his right hand he has a a scroll with seven seals on it, which are the judgments which are about to become on mankind. And it seems that there is no one worthy to open the scroll and execute this judgments of God upon sinful humanity. And John sees this, and he begins to weep. But notice what it says, beginning in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out to all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The one who conquered, the one who conquered sin, death, and the devil is the one who was worthy, the only one to open the scroll and execute God's judgment upon mankind. You remember God the Father said? He has committed all judgment to the Son, the one who is worthy. We see in this passage an image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures... Right there on the right hand of God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.26 that he, God the Father, raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him on his right hand in the heavenly places. Right at the right hand of God. In the right hand is the scroll. Right at the right hand of God stands the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says something about him. It says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. The Lord Jesus Christ will bear in his body the marks of his crucifixion for all eternity. Now we know in the Gospel of John, when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to his disciples, the first time Thomas was not there. And Thomas said, I will not believe that the Lord has risen with a physical body unless I actually see the nail marks in his hands and I see the wound on his side. So... They were meeting again at another point and picking it up in this particular passage. The Bible says this, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. 
and the doors were locked. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. They're in the room gathered together. The doors are locked. The infinite power of God, the physical body goes right through. And Thomas beholds the marks on the Lord Jesus Christ that represent his sacrificial death. He's going to bear these marks for all eternity. But these are not wounds of execution. These are not wounds of a defeated person. This is a symbol of victory that will remind us throughout all eternity what Jesus has done and will worship him as our Redeemer. We worship the Lamb before the throne of God as our Redeemer. His victory over sin, death, and the devil will be bared out by these marks that he will have. Marks of victory, marks of redemption, and we'll worship him forever and ever and ever throughout all eternity as our Redeemer. And we're there because we share in that victory. We are also before that throne of God. We are the beneficiaries of what the Lord Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross. Each and every one of us are the beneficiaries of this. Now, being fully God, it tells, the Bible tells us that in him dwells the whole fullness of God bodily. He is worthy of worship and praise with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. We see in this passage that he is near the throne, but he is also on the throne. Revelation 3.21 in his letter to the, the Laodicea, the Lord Jesus Christ said this, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne as I also conquered and sat down on my, on my, with my father on his throne. We saw in Revelation 5, 5, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who conquered. Now he's saying that through his victory, we're also the ones who have conquered, and he is granting us the, the permission and the authority and the privilege of sitting on his throne with him and ruling and reigning. We'll look at that a little later. He's also on the throne, a place of worship, a place of honor, and a place of rulership. In verse five, in, in chapter five, in verse number nine, it says, "Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation." Turn with me, please, to Philippians chapter two. The Lord Jesus' redemptive work on the cross brought salvation to all people. When we look at this passage here, we're going to see something very, very important. We're going to see this, that the Lord Jesus Christ left heaven's glory. He left heaven's glory to take on human form, though sinless. He left heaven's glory to die for our sins, and he did so willingly, and he did so for the joy that was set before him. You see... He did not set aside his deity. He was still fully God. He was the God-man. What he did is he set aside the expression of his deity. 
people saw him in the form of a human being. Now we're in Philippians chapter 2. We're looking at verses 5 through 11. And here the Bible tells us this. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of the servant, of servant, and being born in the likeness of man. When that particular time in eternity came, eternity passed, and God said, now is the time for the redemption of mankind. The Lord Jesus Christ then set aside the expression of his deity, took the human form, and willingly came to earth to pay the penalty for our sins. He willingly did this. He knew what was before him. He knew the beginning from the end. He knew what he was facing, and he came to earth specifically with the purpose in mind of redemption. And it tells us, picking it up in that passage, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. So he humbled himself under the hand and authority of the Father to do what God the Father had ordained him to do. He came to earth to pay the penalty for our sin. And then we see, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of worship as our Redeemer. He's worthy of that worship. And this particular passage tells us this, that he is high and lifted up on the, with God on God's throne. And God has bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. Isn't it a shame that some people curse with that name? Doesn't that just break your heart? There are people who curse with that name. The name that God lifted up and bestowed to be above every name that is named in heaven and earth. But it tells us this, that every single person, redeemed and unredeemed, are going to get down on their knees and they are going to proclaim him as the sovereign one, as the creator, as the redeemer. Aren't you glad you're going to do it willingly? Aren't you glad you're going to do it in here, welcome home, my faithful servant? Aren't you going to be glad that you're the one, the privileged ones, who have accepted Jesus as their Lord, God, and Savior, who are going to do it in praise, in worthiness, and do it forever and ever and ever through all eternity? That's God's destination and plan for each and every one of us. The one who was named above every name, as people willingly, as we willingly get down on our knees and worship him, we are doing it willingly and forever and ever. But there will be people who will do it and acknowledge it and will be cast in an eternal hellfire before the, at the great white throne judgment. We need to get out there 
and spread the word that Jesus is the Redeemer in the only way. Because every single person will acknowledge this. Let's pray they acknowledge it in this life and accept Jesus as their Savior. He is worthy as Creator, as Redeemer, for worship and glory forever and ever. Back to Revelation chapter 5. And we'll conclude with this point. We praise God the Lamb who reigns forever. Look at Revelation chapter 5, picking it up in verse 11. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with one voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. The Lord Jesus Christ in this passage is described as the one who reigns forever and ever. He is the heir of all things. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, seated on the throne with God the Father. He is the eternal God, and he's worshipped as follows in verse number 12. It says, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Again, referring back to the marks that he will bear throughout all eternity as a constant reminder to us of his victory and as a constant reminder to us of our victory to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And it tells us in verse 13 that that worship and reign will never, ever, ever end. Notice what it says. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The Bible describes the Lord Jesus Christ as reigning from eternity past through eternity future. He is the holy, powerful, mighty Son of God. All the attributes of God are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he became flesh and blood and humbled himself so that we can spend an eternity with him. His reign has no beginning and his reign will have no end. Revelation chapter 1 verses 17 through 18. The Bible tells us this. Fear not, as he was speaking to John, as he was about to be given this glorious revelation in the book of Revelation. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I am alive forevermore. And in a great doxology that we see in the book of Jude 24 through 25, we see that Jesus will be worshipped by all his redeemed people for all eternity with never-ending songs of praise. Notice what it says in this passage, similar to what we read in uh, chapter 5, verses 12 through 13 of the book of Revelation. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you blameless before the, before the presence of his glory with great joy. That's him sustaining all things. What is he doing? 
He's keeping us from stumbling. He's sustaining us. And he's presenting us blameless through his perfect sacrificial death. He's presenting us blameless before our God and Father in the presence of his glory with great joy leading to praise. It says, to our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ now and forever. And he was worshiped for all time with the Father in, before, before his incarnation, before all the heavenly angels. Now as we gather here together this morning, we're worshiping him in the word as we sing songs and as we remember the great truths that God's word tells us. And the beauty is we're going to worship him forever and ever in his direct presence before the throne. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ will reign forever. And as Pastor Rob was, was talking about last week, and his saints will reign for him and worship him for all eternity. Revelation 5.10, we saw this. And you have made them, God's redeemed people from all ages. That's who he's speaking about there. You have made them, God's people who are ransomed by the Lord Jesus Christ's blood, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And again, as we said earlier, despite what we say today, righteousness will rule. We're not going to be, there's no defeat. We can read in the book of Revelation, there's no defeat. The world feels defeated because they don't have the Savior. If they had the Savior, they would see the hope. We have the Savior. We realize there is no defeat. There is no condemnation. There is an eternal glory that's awaiting each and every one of us in the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 declares the Lord Jesus Christ to be the heir of all things. And Romans 8.17 says this about us, that we're children of God, and if children, then heirs of God, and fellow heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 11 through 12 says this, if we died with him, meaning we have left this earth trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we shall also live with him. We're going to live eternally in his presence. And it says if we endure, we will also reign with him. What a marvelous glory God has bestowed upon us in calling us the children of the living God. What a marvelous future awaits us. As we look this morning in Revelation 4 and 5, it describes a scene in heaven in the future. And this is a reality that awaits every single person who has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. You will be there. I will be there. We'll be there eternally, worshiping our God with never-ending songs of praise like we were singing this morning. Brian did a tremendous job in fitting the songs around this message. It just, these are what we're going to be singing. And we'll also be reigning as heirs and joint heirs in the king's house, near the king's throne, in the king's presence, praising God forever and ever. This is the inheritance that awaits all believers. But as we said earlier, maybe you don't have this confidence because you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior yet. It's not too late. There's breath within you. God is speaking to you this morning. 
God is telling you this morning that there's a future that awaits you. Don't be frazzled by what we see going on in the world. Don't be frazzled by the cruelty of men and the sin that we see in the world all around us. Don't be frazzled. There's hope. There's a living hope. And that living hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know him as your Lord, God, and Savior, there'll be those of us this morning who can show you from the Bible how you can have great confidence that you will have a future and an inheritance in God's kingdom in the presence of God, worshiping God, and ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these wonderful promises of Scripture. As we look at your word, Father, and we study your word, we realize that regardless of what the world says and what we see in the world, there is an eternal hope, and that eternal hope is in Jesus Christ alone. Father, we pray that this message will reach the hearts of all people to encourage those who know you as Lord and to bring about your perfect salvation in the conviction of sin, judgment, and righteousness in the hearts of those who do not know you, that they may turn from their sinfulness and embrace the promise and future that you have prepared for all your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.